You are listening to episode 69 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Johnny Frazier. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast, and it's really a pleasure to bring you another episode this week. And today we're going to be talking about tennis fitness, specifically about training while on the road and while traveling. And I know a lot of us, even as club players, we travel to tournaments, whether that's within the state, out of state, maybe even out of the country. Uh, and it's really important to know exactly how to approach the, you know, these tournaments and competitions when you're traveling and to know uh, what types of training you can do while on the road and how to just generally prepare yourself uh, and recover uh, so that you can play your best while competing. And so today I brought on uh, Johnny Frazier, a great guy who I met uh, actually this past uh, July at the World Tennis Fitness Conference in Atlanta, courtesy of Mark Kovacs and the International Tennis Performance Association. And uh, I've watched him uh, give presentations over the past couple of years at that conference on tennis fitness. And it's I'm really happy to bring Johnny on. Uh, we had a fantastic talk about tennis fitness and training on the road, and I really think you'll enjoy this episode and learn a lot from it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Johnny Frazier. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast, and it's really an honor to have Johnny Frazier on the uh, Tennis Files podcast today. And I met Johnny uh, in, uh, finally in person at the recent uh, ITPA uh, conference uh, this past summer, which is the International Tennis Performance Association. Uh, and he's a really great guy. And I've previously seen articles that he's written uh, on the ITPA website and in other for, uh, realms of the, uh, the tennis, uh, I guess, uh, writing world. And uh, he does a lot of great work. And and to introduce him, uh, a bit of his background, Johnny has worked in tennis strength and conditioning, which is one of my favorite areas of tennis, uh, for over 10 years now. Uh, and Johnny is the head of strength and conditioning science, or excuse me, the head of strength and conditioning at Claudio Pistolesi Enterprise. Uh, he's also the assistant director of fitness at the Tennis Congress. And Johnny also currently runs uh, a business and website called Science and Tennis. And Johnny also acts as an uh, associate lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University, and he is an MTPS for the International Tennis Performance Association, so he's been certified as an MTPS, I should say, uh, which is the highest level of certification. Um, so that tells you right there that Johnny has a great amount of information and knowledge uh, that he's going to share with us today in the realm of uh, uh, tennis strength and conditioning uh, and uh, specifically with respect to traveling on the road. So, Johnny, I uh, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today and happy to have you on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for asking me. And 
uh, really appreciate appreciate your time and so many great people have uh, have been on your podcast and I'm just honoured to uh, to be a part of it and um, yeah thank you so much and I think just before I kind of you know we begin going through uh, the discussion about um, working with players on the road and how that transfer across to working with uh, players within clubs I think um, I just want to thank a lot of people that have helped me in the past um, people like obviously you mentioned Claudio Pistolesi uh, Mike James. Uh, Jason Torpy, Dave Murray, great tennis coaches who I've been lucky to work with. And then Howard Green, Dom King, who's been on your podcast. BJ from the Tennis Congress, um, Dean Hollingsworth, and just so many great people that I've, I've met in my in my journey. So um, I like to think I'm more a, a selective thief rather than uh, anything else. <laughs> so uh, so I'm sure a lot of these people that uh, listen, uh, if they do listen, will be thinking I've stolen their ideas, but it's only because they're good ideas. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you so much, Johnny. And uh, like you mentioned, there are a lot of great names uh, that you know that you talked about, and many of whom I've had on my uh, podcast: uh, Dom, Dean, uh, also uh, Mark Kovacs, um, who I think is was episode thirty three. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just uh, just a pleasure to have you on. And like you said, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this subject today because. Uh, you know, a ton of us, obviously, even club players, we travel to tournaments, uh, USTA leagues will travel sometimes out of state, you know, even out of the country sometimes. So uh, really, really fantastic to talk about this subject today. But I want to also get a sense of how you got to where you are today, Johnny. So uh, how did you get your start in the tennis world? Yeah, so I guess my uh, my start in the tennis world was very much like many people that, that work in tennis. Um, so I played as a, as a junior. Um, I played for my county, which was Norfolk um, in the UK. And then um, when I was in my teenage years, I had a, a growth-related uh, injury. So that stopped me playing um, for, for a period of time. And really, that's the first thing that got me interested in this area of physical training and sports science. And I was at a stage where I was choosing what I was going to do. Um, with regards to further education, looking at universities, and that led me to to being really interested in sports science. Um, and then I was really lucky to, uh, to to reach out to so many great people. And like you said, I did my undergraduate, I did my postgraduate at Sheffield Hallam, where I'm now uh, an associate lecturer as well. And um, I, I guess the big development was was Mark Kovacs, who, who you mentioned, who um, who is one of the leaders, if not the leader, in, in tennis sports science. And um, I reached out to him, and, and at the time the ITPA was uh, was was beginning to grow, and Mark invited me across to Atlanta, and I guess my journey really um, kind of uh, increased in speed after after going across to see Mark, sort of in the uh, I think like 2013. So that really helped me develop and grow as an SNC coach, and that's really what has got my passion. Obviously, I've been working in it for. For ten years, ten years or so, but the last five years has has been great, and the ITP have certainly been a part of that. Yeah, for sure, uh, Johnny. And if I may ask, I'm just kind of curious. You know, you mentioned an injury that kind of set you on on the path to this uh, niche within tennis. Uh, what what injury was that? So I had uh, medial epicondylitis, which is uh, golfer's elbow. So um, so I was hyperextending a lot when I was. Uh, when I was playing uh, my forehand and that led to a lot of stress on the elbow and it became inflamed. And I did the thing that um, I tell all the junior players that I work with now not to play through pain, make sure they speak to the coach, make sure they speak to the trainer, speak to their parents. And, and I just played through it um, simply because 
<laughs> I thought I could, and uh, and that wasn't wasn't a good idea. Um, so I, I had to stop playing for for a period of time. Uh, I couldn't even really uh, hold a pen um, and write at one point. So it wasn't um, wasn't a good idea to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, now you're filled with so much knowledge, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> probably wouldn't make that mistake again because it's <laughs> a, such a painful thing to play through. But I mean, you know, you, sometimes people just want to get get through it and keep playing. But uh, got to think of the long term. But yeah, Johnny, and um, what in particular, you know, do you enjoy about tennis strength and conditioning that that gets you so passionate about it? So. I think first of all, seeing the the benefits that physical training can have on the game. Um, so, with regards to uh, improving performance, making the the individual more robust, and using the term kind of bulletproof, so they can play the sport more and more that that they love and that they enjoy uh, doing. Um, because ultimately, no tennis player wants uh, to be injured because they can't play the game that they love and, and be on court. Um, I also think the uniqueness of it, uh, particularly working with um, professional players, how there's so many variables to take into account when when you're working with with the player. Um, for example, the the tournament scheduling, how playing a tournament can actually massively affect uh, the training that you do in that week, from having maybe easy two set wins to to long three set matches, and and what do you do after the match? What do you do within the physical training during the tournament weeks? And I think that's what that's what tennis really brings. It does bring that unique element. It isn't um, a sport where you know where you're playing each week uh, at what particular time. Um, there's so many factors that can affect it. And I think that's what I really do enjoy um, about uh, the tennis tennis fitness niche. Yeah, it definitely is so uh, so incredibly important. And, um, you know, I've, I've like I said, I've enjoyed uh, reading about what you what you um, have learned yourself from all the great people in in the tennis world and tennis fitness and uh, strength and conditioning, and uh, you also had a great presentation uh, at the ITP conference this past summer. Um, so, like I said, really excited to to talk uh, strength and conditioning with you. But um, before we do that, what are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Johnny Fraser? Oh well, that's a that's a, that's a good question. Um... <laughs> Hmm. So I guess a lot of my friends will know it back in, in the UK here, but I'm actually a massive uh, soccer fan. Uh, I support a team called Norwich City. Um, mm. So that's one of my uh, one of my big passions alongside uh, tennis and, and the sports science and physical training that goes along with it. Um, so that's that's a big thing for me. Um, uh, what else? Um, and, and to give you, I guess, more <laughs> more time, perhaps. But this the soccer team you mentioned is that in the Premier League or which uh, league is that that one in? Uh, we we fluctuate from the Premier League to the Championship. So gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So yeah, one day, one day we'll rule the Premier League. I'm sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a broken uh, one bone ever in Ouch. my body, and that was my big toe, and oh. that was one day before London Marathon. So I was meant to run London Marathon, and that was um, the only time I broke a bone. Um, so that was very frustrating, training all winter, and uh, particularly through the, the snow and, and the ice and, and the freezing cold weather, and then dropping a 20-kilogram weight on my uh, toe, which wasn't really very smart. So, so yeah, so that's something that uh, I'm sure people didn't know about me, um, and also that emphasizes the importance of safety and always concentrating <laughs> when you're in the weights room, definitely. Something, again, that I always uh, talk to my athletes about. Um, and then probably probably the last thing is, 
I guess if, if we come back to tennis, uh, one of my uh, favourite tennis players for sure is uh, is the Australian Leighton Hewitt. Um, and I just loved him when I was growing up based on, uh, again, on his physical presence on the court and, and his heart. And I love using um, the, the, the image of him with his knees on the grass, really trying to emphasise the importance of, of lunging and, and getting low to the ball. So I guess that's another thing people don't know about me. Awesome, awesome, great uh, tidbits there, Johnny. And yeah, I mean, speaking of this uh, this subject, you know, I, I had to take a couple weeks break because I got sick overseas, and uh, and then I came back to playing tennis after uh, not much physical activity, and I could really feel the huge difference. You know, my movement was off; I felt weak, and I mean, that's you know, that's part of why it's uh, this area is so important for tennis players to focus on. You know, it's not always just technique because even if you have great technique but you have repetitive movements i mean you you could still get injured if you're not fit um but in any case you know you're a specialist from what i understand johnny in sports science so could you kind of talk a bit about what what exactly sports science is and how it's evolved over the years in tennis yeah, so um, first of all, uh, kind of sports science really looks at how um, how sport and exercise uh, improves health, well-being, and and performance um, with with the with the particular athletes or the or the general population that you're working with. Um, and in sports science, there are a range of disciplines. So the disciplines are biomechanics, physiology, psychology, nutrition, performance analysis, such as um, looking at um, you'll see more and more of this in tennis, looking at court positions, number of um, uh, unforced errors, number of balls on after four shots, after uh, eight shots and so on, um, strength and conditioning and um, performance lifestyle. So sports science really is this idea of a holistic approach to developing um, athletes, but also providing um, health and well-being for four people. Um, and my background was actually in physiology. So I did my master's in, in physiology. And I think really how the physiology is important um, is because uh, the physio- physiology ultimately influences the adaptations in the body. So really what we're looking for within strength and conditioning is we're looking at adaptations and we need to work out the best way for those adaptations. And that's through the number of sets, the number of reps, the intensity, um, the, the rest periods we, we give to our athletes. So that's really kind of my background in sports science. But as you're kind of um, aware, the, the, the disciplines that I mentioned, they all work holistically and they, they should all be integrated when you're working with athletes. So, for example, um, a background and understanding of biomechanics is important uh, because we need to understand um, the, the joint angles um, with regards to technique within tennis, for example, um, psychology is, is essential. The, these mental skills that we uh, that we use with our players to help them form routines, um, help them concentrate, etc., they're essential in tennis. Um, and the other area as well is is actually performance lifestyle. So it's 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 how athletes manage their bodies within um, within the context of their lives. So. Um, for example, some athletes may be studying. For example, um, I saw you—you uh, you went to college and you, and you were playing tennis, and um, and at that stage, it was a—I I assume and guessing—you have to manage your your uh, education with your tennis and and all the other factors that go with life. Mm-hmm. So really, that's what that's what sports science is, and and how it's evolved, um, particularly since I uh, I graduated over over ten years ago now. Um, seems like a long time ago, but um, seems only like yesterday is really how technology is beginning to influence sport. And 
Um, I'd say tennis is is a, is a long way behind with regards to technology. So if we come back to um, come back to, to soccer, um, GPS is is used massively in in soccer and how they look at the number of accelerations, the number of de- decelerations, the distance players cover, um, the volume that they that they um, produce in training during a match period. So I think that's how for sure. Uh, sports science is developing with this technology um, and one of the areas that I'm really interested in is, is monitoring training load so how hard are players working and can we use this um, this objective measures and subjective measures so how the athlete feels and, and help guide their training more and more but without doubt in tennis over the next two three years I can really see technology catching up and, and kicking on and really helping players uh, more and more. For sure, Johnny. Really interesting stuff, and uh, that reminded me of the uh, the we had a tech portion at the ITPA uh, session, and it was really interesting to see the developments and and presentations from some of the uh, representatives of of companies and other uh, sports science experts on what technologies are being used to to track um, all these parameters. And uh, and another thought too from what you were saying is I. Especially when I was in a phase where I was trying to grow as much mu- muscle as possible, when you talked about the physiology and the sets and reps, uh, that's something that I'm always really interested in in trying to find. You know what what uh, combination produces, you know what what sort of results, and so uh, really, you know, really cool, um, to, you know, area to study and, and know about because a lot of people are kind of confused about what what exactly we sets, reps, and and rests that we need to produce optimal results. So definitely looking forward to talk to you about that too. But so as far as uh, training on the road, <clears throat> what have you seen uh, are some of the biggest challenges that players face when they are traveling uh, on the road and, and uh, needing or, or should be training? Yeah, I think without doubt, um, training and, and practice on the road is is incredibly challenging. Um, first of all, based on, on the changing environments that you're always in. Um, so obviously flying to different parts of the world um, or if you're, you know, you're uh, traveling uh, a long distance in the car to, to play events. So I think the, the changing environment is always the, the biggest challenge for, for players. And if we think about um, players who are, who are traveling all over the world, the, the alterations in the, the circadian rhythm, so the, the body's natural clock. And I think that is one of the, one of the first things that, I, I've noticed um, working with players is a really important thing to to try and manage, and, and um, I mean it's it's very hard because everyone's individual and everyone's different. But you know, trying to make sure players have good practice on on the plane, trying to find ways in which they can sleep. For example, just choosing the the right seat to to sit in, which helps them sleep. For example, the, like the aisle seat, the uh, the window seat, um, and just trying to get comfortable on on the plane and. And little things that they can do to incorporate before they before they travel. So um, maybe trying to get to bed a little bit earlier. So they're beginning to try and get into the time zone, um, taking small naps when they get there, but obviously not sleeping um, back in their previous time zone. So these that's the first big challenge that that um, that I find with players. And obviously the change in in temperature, the humidity, um, the court surface. All these factors have to be taken into account, and that's where the the monitoring, the training, and, and the load is really important. Um, and then also the, the the facilities that you have. So if you're training at your base um, or at your home club, for example, 
um, you know what facilities you have. So you are likely to have um, a gym and, and you know what dumbbells, barbells, um, equipment you have in there. Um, and often we're, we're playing at clubs where, or venues where you know, we're having to train on court. We actually don't have any access to, to gyms or, or we have um, your, your kind of your standard hotel gym where you have maybe a treadmill, a bike, a few dumbbells, a medicine ball and, and a bench, basically. Um, so that's certainly some of the challenges that, that I faced when, when traveling on the road, um, alongside obviously the, the challenges with nutrition and, and trying to, um, and trying to eat um, the, the, the right things and make sure the player is healthy and, and ready to, to play and compete. There's some wonderful tips, Johnny. And, you know, as far as knowing like what's around you, I, I sometimes have a bad habit of not researching fully enough, you know, my where I'm going to be at and what's around. So, I mean, how much research do you usually, you or your team, uh, perform, uh, you know, when trying to figure out like what, what resources there are in the area where you're going? Yeah, I think that's a, an awesome comment. Um, the, the planning, the preparation is key. So, for example, if you're um, if you're uh, you're playing for your club and you're you're traveling two or three hours away, um, the first thing would be um, like I do with the players is obviously find out the surface, find out the particular tennis balls that are being used. I think that's really important um, from a from a from a coaching perspective. Also, scouting around what facilities are there. So, go on Google Maps. Is there a park next to the tennis uh, club, for example? So, um, one of the things that uh, I've been doing with with my players is if we don't have a facility, facility we can train in in the park next door um so scouting what facilities are around making use of of lots of gym passes when we can um and and just really uh researching the facility do they have a gym there and trying to scout on on again google trying to get some images of the facility that that we're working in and, and often um and often you know recently when we uh, when i was in canada we were really lucky we had some great facilities to, to train and practice in but then in other cases um like i said we were we were training in in parks or uh, or you know calling down in, in the clubhouse for example so so it is really important to research and, and find out what's around and that also takes into account um transportation um with, with players uh seeing how long it takes to get from the hotel the the Airbnb to the to the venue um, so we can warm up we can prepare properly um, and also looking around what restaurants there are and, and what I what I found is um, and I think this is human nature as well is that trying to form a routine as quickly as you can when you're in the new environment is important so if you like a restaurant and and you feel that restaurant the food is good and you feel you're not going to get get sick in it and it prepares you um, and it helps you recover I think we we stick with that and we just get into that good routine like we would would have at home so johnny uh, great stuff there and uh, you know some club players might think that they don't have to really worry about traveling on the road and and uh because they're club players and you know maybe only pros have to worry about these kinds of things but can you talk to us about you know the similarities or the differences between concerns that pros versus um, club players would have when thinking about traveling and training on the road yeah, so I think I think that's a great question, and um, there certainly are certainly are similarities, and and I think um, with regards to to club players, um, often uh, you know that they're, they're working all day, we're working all day, and then we quickly go to to the club to prepare for our match, and 
And with regards to um, the, the pro players, particularly when we've got match day, we, we go down to the club. Um, we could be down there um, for a long period of time um, waiting for the previous match uh, to, to finish. Um, so we warm up many times and, and we're, we're, we're there all day and we're waiting and, and, then we, um, and then we play our match. So I think really um, the similarities are, you know, club players, professional players, we always have to have that awareness that, that things can change. And also we need to make sure that we warm up um, properly before the matches and we make sure we give ourselves enough time to do that. Um, and I also think with regards to, to similarities as well, um, very often if you're playing a club match and, and you travel to a club you're not, not too sure about, um, again, you're going to have limited equipment. So if you, if you at your club, you get down 30 minutes early and you warm up on the bike and you spend some time in the gym, and then you realize that the club that you're playing at doesn't have that option, that access to a gym or, or based on particular rules and regulations, you can't do that. You have to be adaptable and you have to um, be prepared uh, on any instance in ways in which to warm up. So you need that, um, that ability to, to have that uh, variety and, and, and contingencies as you need. Um, I think obviously the difference is, is with uh, with professionals is that um, you know we solely focus on on the, the tennis that they're tennis athletes they're full-time professionals so we can um, really try and schedule um, the, the day more effectively and schedule their training more effectively rather than um, like I said uh, with club players we're maybe in uh, work sort of for, for long periods of time um, but I think there are certainly similarities and differences and and this is really what um, what I really feel is, is that regardless of whether you're a club player or you're a professional player, you can prepare and you can plan and you can be, be ready in, in the same way. Right. And I think being that most of the people listening to uh, the podcast are those that really want to improve their game. I mean, these are, are perhaps you might think of them as little things, but they make a huge difference for sure. Um, so that's, that's great stuff there, Johnny. And uh, can you give us some uh, recent examples of, players that you've been uh, tra training that you've traveled with to tournaments and what tournaments you've been going to? Because I know before we uh, started the episode, you were kind of talking about um, that you've had some recent travels. So if you could kind of talk about that. Yeah, sure. So I'm, uh, I'm really uh, in a, in a lucky and, and privileged position where um, you mentioned uh, Claudio um, at the start of, of the podcast. And um, after the, over the last four five years I've uh, I've got to know Claudio uh, Pistolesi who is um, an amazing coach an amazing person and um, I've been supporting him and his players alongside um, another coach Mike James and um, we, we've created this idea of this team this um, creating a team for players and I know players have teams who support them um, but this team is where where we can provide them uh, support on the road based on on their particular needs so Obviously, I'm a, I'm a physical trainer and, and I spend time with um, with these players. So um, I've had a, had a really uh, good year working with a player called Francesco Ferrari and we've all been supporting him at various tournaments. And um, he's been doing doing great in, in singles and doubles. And I've spent time in Bulgaria, Israel, uh, the US and, and Canada. And um, I've also had experiences working with, with club players as well this year, which has been great um, in, in Ireland. So that was really great trying to incorporate like you uh, just said about what, what professionals do and what club players do can be very similar. Um, and it just comes down to planning and, and preparation and, and the little things, doing the little things right. 
Great stuff. And and speaking of doing the little things right, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen that uh, that club players or really any any other players make when traveling? Yeah, so I think preparation preparation is the key, without without a doubt. Um, regardless of whether you're a club player or you're a professional, um, you need to be prepared. So what I mean by that is, you know, you need to make sure you have your foam roller, you have your mini band, you have your resistance band in the bag. So you can warm up effectively. Um, you can you can then cool down effectively as well. You can go through your stretching routines. Um, so I think that is really what what club players um, need to be doing. And I think that's often an area that um, you know we get down to the court. We our warm up is literally opening the can of balls, going straight back to the baseline. But we need to give ourselves time and be prepared to warm up, um, and also just being inventive in in the workouts. So. So often we, we don't have any any space. Um, so using car parks, using the balcony, using the corridor to, to warm up um, effectively are all things all things that we can do. And, and I think that's an area that, that really requires focus. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, I, I, that, that'd be kind of the areas that I would suggest. Great. Awesome stuff, Johnny. And so speaking of traveling and, and training, what are some essential pieces of equipment uh, or it can even be, I mean, food or other items or snacks that you would suggest players who are traveling uh, to play a match should uh, ideally bring with them in their bag. So certainly, like I mentioned, a foam roller. Um, so just a half foam roller. You can then work on um, obviously the, the trigger points um, in your body. And, and I always think this is an important thing in, in the warm up and, and the cool down making sure we we work through our what i would say our hot spots so everyone will have hot spots on their body it might be your calves it might be your hips your upper back so that's the first thing i'd always suggest for players to to have in their bags um alongside uh, a mini band so one of the smaller resistance bands so we can do uh, our prehab work for example with our with our shoulders um uh, like a retraction exercise where we're working on on setting our shoulder blade and squeezing them back um alongside um monster walk so we're activating our glutes and working on uh, glute stability and strength um and then your your standard resistance band so i mean that comes across so many levels of resistance bands so we can use that in our warm-up to activate our shoulders uh, we can use that to activate our trunk our core but then also uh, when we're on the road resistance bands are, are our key kind of ingredient for our strength training so having a range of resistance bands that will help develop um, strength alongside resistance bands that you can use to, to warm up. Um, and also a hockey ball for sure. Um, so again, we talk about the trigger points and, and releasing those areas so we can work on our mobility within, within those particular sections of our body. Um, and the hockey ball can just get into those kind of tighter areas such as around the, the shoulder blades and, and in those deeper points in the hips that we really need to work on. So Without doubt, those four four things. And then, if we think about speed and movement, um, just having a handful of cones can really help out. So you don't need you don't need much, but you certainly need something. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Awesome. Thanks for that, Johnny. And and so a couple, I guess, nitpicky questions. But you did mention with the bands to get a range. So, I mean, I guess that sort of answers my question. But I was going to ask you, like, what what color band should we use for what situation? Um, Yeah, for for what exercises and intensities? Sure. Yeah. So ultimately, um, when we're warming up, I think one of the I'm kind of going to go into the theory and then kind of give you an answer with it. When when we're warming up, I think uh, people see players uh, doing YTWs and rows with the resistance band, and and this is not really a um, a strength exercise. This is actually an activation exercise. So we want to be using uh, some of the lighter bands, such as such as a yellow band, um, that will allow us to to warm up with regards to that. And then as we go through the bands, um, kind of the, the stronger ones, if we're working more on, on the strength element, um, are going to be maybe the, 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 the black bands, um, just because there's more resistance going through them. So it's important that we, we really, uh, understand the, the, the context of the exercise and the, and the rationale why we're using that band. Um, and then in between we have, uh, the, the red and uh, and the green bands that are kind of in the middle there. So if you're pretty strong, you can use maybe uh, one of the, the green bands for, for the warm-up exercise. Um, and if maybe you, uh, you know, you need to develop that strength a little bit more, you might use a red or green one for, for the strength exercises. Got it. Thanks for that, uh, Johnny. And then you mentioned the hockey ball. And to be honest, I had to just Google that now. <laughs> but could you kind of describe the hockey ball and the, what exactly, uh, like how that's used? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, so a hockey ball or, or like a, a lacrosse ball, something that um, that is is a little bit harder than a, than a foam roller um, and that can really get deeper in, into the tissue. So one of the one of the key things that I uh, that I work on uh, is, is mobility. So and, and again, uh, regardless if you're a club player or a professional player, um, if we think about uh, science, work equals force times distance. So, for example, let's say every time you work, you hit a forehand and um, to create that that energy um, to cre- for that to work, you need force and distance. So you've got two options, two variables there. You either create more force or you have good distance within the in the joint to help create that that work. So the hockey ball, really, we can work nice and deep in the joint and we can um, increase the mobility around that joint um, and, and work through those trigger points. Um, basically, I mean, you could term it as the knots. Um, and really you want to hold it on those tight spots for, for 20, 30 seconds. Um, you might want to move the, the joint into different positions to really get a feel of that. Um, and then hopefully that will, will relax and, and release that, 
that fascia that surrounds the tissue and then we can go into our mobility work and really uh, really work on increasing that distance around maybe a tight joint for example um i think the analogy i had a really good analogy um from uh ali galem who um runs athletic 1080 and if we think about mobility and, and stability so stability is obviously the um how stable the joint is and if we work on stability and it lacks mobility and it's tight, we're basically screwing a, a nail into a piece of wood and then it kind of splits. So that's really um, why for me working on that mobility is important if someone's tight there. And that's that's how the hockey ball um, and the foam roller are, are, are key. Thanks, Johnny. That's a fantastic explanation of, of those concepts. And so, you know, one other question too, uh, when you're going on the road and let's say you have, uh, you know, matches throughout the week, hopefully more than one, you know, assuming you win, um, what level of intensity do, should we be training uh, with? You know, I mean, should we be going super light, medium, very heavy? Uh, if you could kind of talk about that, that would be great. Yeah, sure. I think this is this is where it comes back to the the question about why I love uh, working in tennis, and um, and ultimately the, the 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 most common answer I hear in sports science is it really depends. Um, so, like you said, hopefully uh, you know the player is um, is going through the tournament, and you know they get through the first, second round into the quarters, semis, and and then final. But um, for example, let's say uh, the player loses first round on, on the Monday um, and we have six days to train before the next tournament. So during the, the early part of the week there, the Tuesday and the Wednesday, that's when we can really work on, on the strength areas and, um, and the volume is going to be higher. So what I mean by that is the number of rep sets that we're going to do is going to be higher and the intensity is going to be higher in, in the gym. Um, and then as we come up to to match day, um, so say we, we train in the gym on the Tuesday, we train in the gym on the Thursday and the player is going to be playing on the Monday. Um, we'll begin to to drop the drop the intensity. Um, we'll still keep kind of the speed and, and movement intensity high on the court. And with regards to maybe the speed and agility drills, but um, in, in the weight room, we'll, we'll drop the volume and the intensity. And I think that is um, is important for, for for club players as well to to be aware of is that I think first of all having a, a good program a good structured program is important. But if your match day is um, say for example a Saturday um, during the week you may have a schedule where um, you play tennis three times a week for example. So you may play on the uh, the Tuesday Thursday and Friday and then we can structure our, our program around that where Monday. Um, for example, we work in the gym on our strength. Wednesday, we're working in the gym on our strength. We take into account the volume, the intensity, um, and then hopefully we're we're recovered and, and ready to play on on the on the Saturday. Um, and then on the other couple of days, we're going to be working on our tennis movement, our tennis specific movement, our speed and agility. Um, and I'd always recommend, again, regardless of the level that you play, having us this understanding of prehab training. So making sure that we're working on those common areas at tight and also strengthening the areas that, that maybe lack stability. Um, but ultimately as we come to the match, we're going to drop the, drop the volume, drop the intensity where on the flip side, say the player gets to um, the final, they're playing on the Saturday and then they're, they're playing the next tournament on the Monday. Um, the, the intensity would be, would be very moderate and, and the volume would be moderate. Um, and 
and I think as well one of the one of the key things to to mention is that when when we are working with players on the road and also again this relates to to club players when you're away for example on holiday or on business we want to try and maintain um, the strength gains that we've had so it is still important that we do perform our strength and conditioning um, training and we do that either in the gym or using the resistance bands or we do incorporate some speed and movement work into our warm-up um, so that's kind of how I would vary the intensity based on on the particular demands of, of the tournament and the scheduling Got it. Thanks so much for that, Johnny. And so when you talk about, uh, like, say, if we had the six days in between matches and we're working on strength in the beginning of that week and then we taper down, for those strength days, I'm wondering if you have some sort of standard set and rep um, type scheme that you use for most players or um, is it just does it just fluctuate depending on the player? Yeah, so I think um, I think first of all it fluctuates uh, certainly on on the players, but also the the, the demand that you're working on. So um, if we take into account um, the different areas that we want to work on, so muscular endurance would be one potential area, um, hypertrophy, so increasing cross sectional area that will allow increases in force, maybe another area, and then we go towards uh, rate of force development and then maximum strength. So. If we think about um, if we think about tennis players, ultimately um, we certainly need a level of of cross sectional area within the muscle to help generate force. But we don't really want want that much. Um, we really want to be working towards um, that that more more maximal strength. But before we can do that, we need this certain level of hypertrophy. So um, generally, for, for for hypertrophy for cross sectional area size, we're thinking three to six sets reps anywhere from six to 12 with a load of uh, 65 to 85%, for example. Um, but with tennis players, like I said, we really want to be trying to work more towards that, um, that uh, higher load. So we're really trying to activate the, the nervous system and, and l- limit to a certain extent cross-sectional area. So we're going to be working more on sets two to six lower reps. So more than, uh, sorry, less than six, and a load of around 85%. Um, but again, it just depends on, on, on the demands and the needs of the player. So if we feel a player does need to get a little bit bigger and, and stronger, without doubt, we need to plan a, some, some hypertrophy training in there. And we may do it um, in a non-linear fashion. So what I mean by that is that one week we may focus on hypertrophy, then we may uh, change the reps and sets and go walk to, more towards back strength. Um, and we just adapt them accordingly. Um, but I would say for, for any, any, any player out there, a really good, uh, good starting point is, is towards muscular endurance. So two to three sets of 12 reps, um, and then gradually build that up based on, on kind of the physical demands of the athlete. Great stuff, Johnny. Now I've heard of this um, concept of undulating periodization, which I guess like is kind of what I think what you just mentioned as far as focusing on different, um, you know, uh, aspects of like hypertrophy and, uh, strength and muscle endurance, um, switching them, uh, each workout perhaps. But if, would it be, if, if someone were to do that and just say, all right, you know what, I'm going to work on each, each one evenly, would that be a, a good approach or would that be something where no, you need to figure out, you know, what, traits do i actually need and then and then work on those um like in different levels certainly i, th- I think uh kind of the, the second thing that, that you suggested i think undulate undulating periodization works 
um, within tennis uh, more towards um, kind of, uh, I guess, when, when you're working day in, day out with a player because you begin to know them, you begin to understand them, um, you really know what, what they want to work on. Um, but what I would say is um, certainly if you're new to strength and conditioning is that you really need to have have a good, solid all-round program where it's kept simple. Um, so, for example, if you're just training twice a week in the gym, um, which should be, which will be enough for for, for overload. Um, two sessions a week is just about enough. Ideally, you want to be hitting three, but again, that just depends on on the schedule of people and and um, the demands which are placed upon them. I would certainly say have a set tro- uh, sorry, a set program where if you are, you know, work on muscular endurance, work on hypertrophy, work on max strength, um, because. If you haven't done much strength training before, you will get strong very quickly without really um, without really working at, at higher loads, simply because your neuromuscular system will adapt, um, and that can only help you on court. Awesome stuff, Johnny. And can you give us um, like a sample workout that maybe you've recently had one of your players go through while uh, training uh, on the road? Yeah, sure. So. Um, so thinking to to when we've been training in the park and we've really had had limited equipment, um, I think uh, kind of one of the one of the programs that that we worked through is this uh, is starting off with this explosive work. So we use the explosive work first um, because again that's really fatiguing on the body. So um, for example, we would do three lots of, of six reps, some single leg uh, box squats. And then we're going to some uh, body weight squat jumps. So we're really working on that explosive uh, um, element to, to the game, and then some lateral bounds, which um, is kind of like the ice skaters, where you're you're jumping side to side, single leg. So we're trying to incorporate lateral movement as well, um, and also uh, ankle uh, stability because uh, ankle um, sprained ankles are a very common injury in tennis. And then after that, we'll go on to our, our band work. So. I'm I'm a big believer in in keeping things simple. Um, so, for example, we'll we'll squat in there. So three lots of um, three lots of tw- uh, twelve squats. So I know that's working more towards muscular endurance, but that's just based on the fact of 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 the equipment that we had um, with regards to the bands. Um, and some things we do is is to challenge the challenge the athlete is that we we change the tempo, the speed of the exercise. So um, we go slower down. So we take four or five seconds going down and then we come up nice and quick because we have more time and attention. So, um, so squatting would be, would be one exercise, um, that we've done. We then go into a lunge pattern. So we're doing the, the, the fundamental squatting lunging, and then we're going to some uh, form of hinge exercise. So that would be a deadlift with a resistance band. Um, so again, you set the band up, you, you perform it exactly like you would with the deadlift, just using that resistance, we then do some horizontal pull exercises. So uh, that would be, for example, a banded row. So we do three lots of 12 again of that. And then a vertical pull. So that might be a, a band pull down. Um, and then we go through uh, core, some core exercises. So, um, for example, like a, a, a pull-off press, the one where we're with the band and we're pushing the band out. And then we're, we're bringing it back in to work on anti-rotation uh, and then some form of real kind of stability exercise on the floor, such as uh, shoulder taps or, or planks based ultimately on, on time. Um, so that's the sort of, uh, program that, that we, we do, um, on the road using the bands. And then we can just flip that, switch that and, and do exactly the same thing 
in the gym just with our with our barbells and our dumbbells um we just have more free reign really awesome stuff john appreciate that and also uh, i know you touched upon this in the beginning but any particular recovery tips that you have for for players um you know after they play matches yeah, I think uh, recovery is really an area that, that I really um, enjoy reading about. And it's, again, it's another area that's developing really quickly. And um, I think, first of all, we have to do the, the basics well. So it's really easy to say, but we need to, to sleep and rest um, and try and get however many hours our, our body actually needs. And that comes down to this this idea of sleep hygiene, which... Um, which I'm really uh, again interested in. So, for example, reducing uh, reducing light off off the phones and and off the iPads when we're in bed and trying to find a comfortable environment um, to sleep in, particularly when we're traveling. You know, when we're away on business um, or when we are a traveling tennis player. You know, just trying to uh, get comfortable in in that bed that you're sleeping. So that's the first thing. Sleep sleep is key. Um, and um, you, you really need sleep for not only the, the physical side to recover, but also the mental side as well. Um, so it's really, really important. And then, then the basics of, of being well hydrated um, and fueling with, with food and recovering quickly. Um, and then again, I keep talking more and more about the, the foam roller and, and working on, on those tight points um, with the foam roller and the hockey ball and making sure we're doing our, our mobility work. So, the mobility and flexibility work is important um, because it helps helps maintain this good movement, um, which obviously is going to help reduce the risk of injury over time. I think the link between flexibility and mobility and reducing injury is is tenuous. Uh, I'm sure it, it happens, but if we think about it from a fact of it's just helping maintain good movement um, around the joint, which will help reduce the risk of injury. Great, appreciate that, Johnny and. So speaking of tennis fitness, what's one thing about this particular niche, tennis fitness, um, that you've maybe changed your philosophy about uh, over the years? Because we know the game evolves and you obviously with all the studying that you have done in, in this area, maybe there's something that you previously thought was a correct way to go about something, but then it, it just changed, you know, your perspective changed. So is there anything um, that you can think of in particular that, that you've changed your philosophy on about tennis fitness? Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, I love this question. So, um, so really how, how I view it is, is when I, when I finished university and I, and I came out and I started training, um, players, it was all about, um, it was all about them as, as, um, athletes within the gym, for example, or, or working on on movement. Um, however, what I've, the philosophy that I've massively changed is that we need to treat these the, the players as tennis players. Tennis they're, they're tennis players. That's the main thing that they're doing. And we need to just be smart. We need to be safe. We need to be effective in our training. But that's how we need to we need to view them. They're not um, they're not Olympic lifters. They're they're not power lifters. They're not. Um, they're not bodybuilders. We need to treat them individually as tennis players. And the physical training is is a tool to help reduce the risk of injury, improve their performance, and also keep them healthy. And, and that's kind of where I've changed from thinking as a trainer, oh, I have to do this exercise or I have to do that exercise. It's a case of, okay, these guys are tennis players. These are the exercises that I believe will work. These are the exercises that reduce um, the risk of injury uh, in the gym or on the court. And that's what I'm going to do. 
Love it. Great stuff, Johnny. And so as I mentioned in the beginning uh, when introducing you, you do have a, a company uh, called Science and Tennis. And can you tell us a little bit about your company and, and also what it aims to achieve? Yeah, so um, Science and Tennis is is my company here in, in Sheffield where where we support players in, in the local area. And, and really what it is is it's um, linked to how sports science can help anyone um, regardless of age, regardless, regardless of level. And, and using this idea of this holistic sports science approach to help develop people um, not only physically and, and through through fitness and, and exercise, but also um, on the tennis court. So, so we work with um, particularly youth athletes, an area that I'm I'm really interested in working uh, working with, and and we provide uh, young young athletes um, physical training programs that, that they can use to incorporate uh, with with their tennis. Um, so that's what science and tennis is about. It's about that anyone, um, regardless of age or level, can access good quality uh, strength and conditioning support, and it will help them not only um, not only help their health, but also help them on the tennis court. Wonderful, Johnny. And that the, the website for that is uh, is it scienceandtennis.com, Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. Wonderful, wonderful. And Johnny, I know you're very learned man obviously um in, especially in this field so what uh three books would you gift to a tennis player to help them improve their tennis game and it doesn't have to all three books they don't all have to be in uh, tennis fitness but uh any three books that you think would help tennis players yeah uh wow that's that's a great question from someone that just tends to read journals and, and textbooks um so let me have a little think uh okay so Certainly, uh, Claudio gave me this book over the summer and, um, my parents had this book and, and I never read it and I wish I did. Um, it's called the inner game of tennis. Uh, I'm sure you've read that before. Um, and I can't believe it's taken me 20 years to, to read it. So that would be one book I'd give to a player. And, and what it really talks about is it talks about the mental side of tennis. It talks about the different selves that you have on the tennis court. And ultimately, not to not to overthink and, and trust yourself and trust your body on on the tennis court. So that's certainly one book I would uh, I would give to um, to a player. Um, I'd obviously have to give one of uh, Mark Kovac's books um, just for the physical training because uh, Mark is uh, Mark's created so many good resources and I think enhancing the on court performance book from. Uh, sort of 10 years ago I think that would certainly be a book that I would uh, would give to a player um, because it's a book that I still refer back to and then um, probably a, a book called Relentless which uh, is written by um, Tim Tim Grover I believe his name is um, he was Michael Jordan's trainer and and it just basically talked really about never give up always believe in yourself and um, and really what you need to do to to, to come to the, the top of whatever sport or whatever profession you, you want to be in. So, um, so there are three hopefully varied books that I would, uh, I would give to uh, a tennis player. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. Like you mentioned, I have read the inner game, game of tennis and that's a fantastic book. And I also have uh, complete conditioning for tennis, the second edition, uh, written by, uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs. And I think Paul, uh, Rotert as well. So those are definitely fantastic books. Um, and also, uh, just curious, 
Uh, Johnny, do you have any sorts of uh, routines, uh, you know, in the morning or at night or anything, you know, that that you that helped you or helps you throughout your day? Yeah, so I think it's really based on, on my on my situation. Um, so, uh, for example, if if I'm away with a player, uh, one of the, the the first things I will do when when we're driving to say the the Airbnb or the hotel is to scout the area to see if there's um, anywhere where I can basically run um, because uh, I am a, a secret runner and, and I love running. And um, so if I'm away with a player, I would uh, wake up and, and try and take a 20, 30 minute run to help get my thoughts together, get some fresh air into the lungs. And, and one of the other things that I didn't mention with regards to recovery um, is also being mindful of the environment you're in. So taking in the small things, um, in life that you see so you know the sun the the plants um so that's something that i would i would certainly do uh when i'm away with the player i'd, I'd wake up i'd take a run um straight out of bed and then then i'd uh, shower and, and just have breakfast and, and that would be my routine when when i'm away um when i'm back here back home and and for example i'm teaching at the university um it would be a little bit of a switch where i would just um wake up have my breakfast take in 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 the news and and the sport and have a quick shower and then try and walk to work because again i really think um walking in the fresh air or being out in the fresh air is is so good for the body so i'd walk maybe half an hour to work to the university um and again think about the day ahead and think about um things that i'd uh, i want to do to make my day the most productive Fantastic tips, Johnny. Appreciate that a lot. And so, I mean, you've obviously given us such great information today and really do appreciate it. Um, like I said, I really highly respect, you know, all the work that you do for the tennis community. And I want to ask you where uh, we, the audience, can follow you uh, either online or in person. Yeah, sure. So um, so on Twitter, uh, if you go to at uh, Science and Tennis, that's my, my Twitter feed. Um, and then on Facebook, the same thing um, at Science and Tennis, um, and obviously through uh, through Claudio Pistolesi Enterprise. Um, so uh, so there there are places there to, um, to to find out more, I guess, about me. And if you want to contact me, please do, and I'd be happy to answer some questions and, and help out whoever um, whoever would like it. Wonderful. Appreciate that, Johnny. So before I let you go, and again, I appreciate your time today. Uh, what is one key tip that you can give? us to help us improve our tennis games uh, okay yeah so um without without doubt it is um being prepared and planning so regardless of of how much you play um whether you are a club player whether you're a professional player it's always being prepared it's always making sure that we go through the small things and we do them well that will help you so making sure we do a, a good warm-up making sure we do our prehab making sure we, we do our cool down. So be prepared, be planned, and ultimately give yourself time. Awesome, Johnny. Well, thanks again so much for coming on to the podcast. I really, like I said, do appreciate your time and uh, sharing your expertise with us. And uh, you know, thanks for everything that you do for everybody and all the people you train. I'm sure they're all very grateful for your help and expertise. So um, really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the very least at the next ITPA conference or hopefully earlier, but uh, thanks. Thanks so much and wish you all the best. For sure. Thank you so much for having me on it. It's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, and thanks for all you do as well. And 
like I said, uh, I owe a lot of thanks to, to many people. So if I haven't mentioned you, then uh, you'll know who you are. But thanks again and, and great work on the tennis files. You do an awesome job. Thanks, Johnny. Very humble. I appreciate the kind words. Thanks. No, pleasure. Take care. Thank you. You too. All right. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Tennis Files podcast with Johnny Frazier. Uh, and again, thanks so much to Johnny for coming on to the podcast today. I really enjoy talking about tennis fitness and especially with uh, great people like Johnny. So thanks again. And I really appreciate you all for tuning in to this episode. And it would also be awesome if you could submit a review for the Tennis Files podcast, whether that's on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice that you use to listen to the show. And that would really help uh, bring more visibility to the podcast and bump it up higher in the rankings. At least that's what I hear, um, so that it could be broadcasted to more people and uh, be seen by more people and listened to. So um, I really would appreciate that. And if you'd like to check out any of the links mentioned on this episode of the podcast, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash 69. And as I often like to do at the end of the show, I'd like to leave you with a quote. And this quote is by Arthur Ashe. I think that this might be the first tennis player quote I've ever included on the show, which might seem odd, but there you go. Um, And this quote is one that I really resonate with. And Arthur said, One important key to success is self-confidence. An important key to self-confidence is preparation. And I resonate with that because if I'm not prepared, I do not feel self-confident, and you can guess what happens from there. So very important and fantastic quote. All right, as always, thank you so much for your support and for listening to the Tennis Files podcast, and I can't wait to bring you another episode next week for the show. And all the best. Keep improving your tennis game step-by-step, 1% per day. Uh, If you do that, then you're going to be on your way to reaching the next level in your tennis game. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.